You know, the power of good news simply cannot be overestimated, can it? Good news brings us, among many things, joy, right? And then joy moves us and spreads out through us. In other words, when you hear good news, you you receive joy, but when you really understand the news and get the joy, then what do you do with the news that brought the joy? You tell the news and spread the joy, right? The nation of Israel had not heard any good news for over 400 years when the angel appeared to the shepherds in a Bethlehem pasture. In fact, God's people hadn't heard from him at all. The 400 silent years of biblical history refers to the time between the Old and the New Testaments during which God did not speak to the Jewish people. After over 2,000 years of fairly consistent communication with his people, God went silent. And Israel waited. But they didn't just wait peacefully, quietly, pleasantly. They waited through 400 years of one difficulty after another. In 333 B.C., Palestine fell to the Greeks. And in 323 B.C., it fell to the Egyptians. The Jews were generally treated fairly well throughout those two reigns, and they adopted the Greek language and many of the Greek customs and manners. And in Egypt, during that same time period, the Old Testament was translated into Greek. That translation, the Septuagint, came into widespread use and is quoted frequently from in the New Testament writings. It would have been a a common Old Testament form of Jesus' day. Jewish law and the priesthood during this time period remained more or less intact until Antiochus the Great of Syria captured Palestine in 204. He and his successor Antiochus Epiphanes persecuted the Jews and sold the priesthood and in 171 BC or thereabouts Epiphanes desecrated the Holy of Holies offering a pig on the altar in the temple. The desecration resulted in an uprising by Judas Maccabeus of the priestly line of Aaron. And in 165 B.C., the Jews recaptured Jerusalem and cleansed the temple. However, fighting continued between the Jews and the Syrians until the Romans finally gained control of Palestine in 63 B.C., at which time Pompey walked um, into the Holy of Holies once again, shocking, a Roman emperor walked into the, a Roman general walked into the, the Holy of Holies, shocking and embittering the Jews. In 47 BC, Caesar installed uh, Antipor, a descendant of Esau, as the procurator of Judea, and Antipor subsequently appointed his two sons as kings over Galilee and Judea. And so as the New Testament opens, this is what's been going on for the last couple hundred years. And at that time, Anipur's son, Herod the Great, a descendant of Esau, was king. And the priesthood was politically motivated and no longer from the line of Aaron. God's glory, his living and visible presence, 
that had dwelt among his people atop the Ark of the Covenant, either in the tabernacle or in the Holy of Holies in the temple throughout their history. It had always been there in some form. But Ezekiel 10 tells us that because of the people's sin, God withdrew the presence from his glory, of his glory from Solomon's temple. Now, I understand by the time of Jesus, there was a second temple rebuilt by Ezra and then in the process of being restored by Herod the Great. So for hundreds of years before this and up to the time of Christ, God's glory had not dwelt among his people. There's no evidence or testimony in Scripture or elsewhere that God's Shekinah glory ever inhabited Solomon's temple. I mean, excuse me, Herod's temple, the second temple, the temple of Jesus' day. And so we come to that night. The night the angels appeared to the shepherds. That night, the Jews are subjected to a foreign power. They're ruled by a despot. And they're still waiting for the salvation yet unfulfilled. Their recent history has been an absolute wreck. But as John MacArthur says, God's glory returned. On the night, the angels confronted the shepherds near Bethlehem. This signifies the the tremendous importance of that extraordinary night. The presence of God returned to earth. Not in a tent, not in a temple as before, but in human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel. John says it this way, and the word became flesh and dwelt. The Greek word means tabernacled among us, and we have once again seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, after 400 rough years, 400 silent years, God, through his angels, speaks, and God in Christ returns his glory to earth. Now, we know that he'd spoken a couple times already to Elizabeth and and Zecharias and Mary and Joseph, all leading up to the birth of Christ. But now, on that Bethlehem hillside, God goes beyond those two families related to Jesus, and he speaks loud and clear to the whole world, and it's good news from heaven. You know, if it had been up to us to arrange that announcement, I believe we would have arranged for this announcement to perhaps be made to Caesar Augustus himself in Rome, right? Just makes sense. Go to to the head guy of the whole world at the time. Tell him that Messiah is come. If we were doing the press release, we would have at least started with the high priest of Israel, right? Since he was the religious leader of the nation of Israel whose Messiah was being born. And in fact, there are a number of alternatives when it comes to who we would have picked to hear God's first good news in over 400 years, but I'm pretty sure we would have never picked the guys that actually were chosen to hear it. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. This is right after we're told that Jesus was born and Mary laid him in a feeding trough. It says, and in the same region, verse 8, There were shepherds out in the fields 
keeping watch over their flock by night. It's probably a field, something like this. This is a picture we took from the Bethlehem fields just recently when we were there. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. You see, the lowest class of people in the society were the first witnesses to the return of God's glory to earth. That's who God chose to receive this message. That's who God chose to see the glory first. God, you see, has always chosen the unexpected, the lowly, the outcast, the afflicted. To these, God's always showing grace and mercy. Through these, God works to bring glory to his holy name. And so you may be here this morning and you say, you know, I, 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 I've just done too much. I've lived too far away from God. I, I can't possibly be someone he would consider. Let me tell you, he sent the greatest announcement of all time to the lowest, most despised, rejected people in the whole of society. Dear friends, the Savior's come for you. He's come for me. Verse 10 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not. They were filled with great fear. Of course they were. Uh, th- these are men that didn't even, they, they didn't even get to go worship at the temple uh, regularly at all because the sheep had to be taken care of. Those sheep that would be sacrifices and food and everything else, they had to be taken care of seven days a week. And the angel said to them, Though fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, we don't just believe in dead doctrines or dry theology. We have good news about a heaven-sent Savior. Jesus Christ, who is the glory of God, made flesh and dwelling among us. And it is Him in whom we personally trust and owe the joy. All the joy that comes from hearing, receiving, and resting in Him and in the good news about Him. I want to talk to you this morning about this simple truth. Christ came to bring joy. Advent is about you living daily with inexpressible and glorious joy in your Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ. The angels told the shepherds, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. Now let me just ask you, should that joy have lessened in 2,000 years since it was first announced to the shepherds? No. In fact, we have the whole of the New Testament that unfolds the gospel and even goes to eternity future with what's fixing to happen on the world scene. We've got more understanding of the good news, of this good news of great joy. In fact, the joy shouldn't have diminished. It should have grown. You and I should be more excited about the gospel than the shepherds ever could have been. Amen? And so we go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Stand with me, because that was a long introduction and you got sleepy. So stand with me. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 to 9, you get woke back up and hear the text. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That is an explanation, an extrapolation of the good news that the angels announced. Amen? And and notice what comes on the heels of it. What would you expect comes right after good news? How about great joy? Yep, verse 6. In all this, Peter says, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief, and you, you will, in all kinds of trials... These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor. He is worthy when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, listen, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you are today receiving the the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls, give me an amen that sounds like you have inexpressible joy in Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus was born in Bethlehem so that all that Peter just told us could be true for you and for me. Good news... Of great joy. Advent is about you living daily with the inexpressible and glorious joy brought to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter tells us twice in this little letter of his that the reason he writes the letter is to stir up or awaken his readers. By the way, that's me and that's you. And can I say this? There may not be a a more appropriate time for the church of Jesus Christ to need waking up than at Christmas time. Y'all all all right? Why? Because it happens every year. We start celebrating as soon as Thanksgiving's over. I I mean, right? It's so easy to just get into the routine of it and not celebrate the joy of what's actually happening. John Piper said what Peter really means by being awakened or stirred up is to feel some measure of the joy God intends for Christmas to bring. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Not small joy, not modest joy, but great joy. And so here's the deal. If we don't feel this when we ponder the incarnation of the Son of God at Christmas time, we need awakening. We need to be stirred up. The good news about Jesus summed up in verses 3 through 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1 is what, when believed, gives great, inexpressible joy. Listen to it again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why, Peter? What's he done? What's the God and Father of Jesus Christ done in his great mercy? He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What's God our Father done? When the whole world were sinners, living in rebellion against God, right then God sent his Son, for God so loved the world. The world that hated him, the world that was living in sin against him. God so loved the world that he gave his own son to be born 
in a Bethlehem manger to grow up, live a perfect life, completely fulfill the law of God in our place, and then to go on the cross and die for us while we were still sinners. So that if we believe in him, we won't have to perish under the just curse of God on our sin, but we can enjoy everlasting life in him and be one of whom Paul says there is therefore now, for us who are in Christ, no condemnation ever again. We can be called sons and daughters of God. We who are enemies can become part of his family. And he did all of this in his great mercy. He gave us birth from above, new birth. He, he, he resurrected dead hearts. And the result is we have great joy and we have living hope, the text says. All because the Savior who died rose on the third day and lives today. We have a living Savior. By the way, a dead Savior is no Savior, right? I mean, we're all, can we all agree on that? Doesn't that just make logical sense? If he stayed dead, he didn't save anybody. He just died. He couldn't even save himself. He lives. And this is what we have. Verse 4 goes on, and into an inheritance. We've got a future that can never perish, spoil, or fade. What is that future? It's it's eternity with, with God in heaven. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. God's guarding your inheritance in heaven. But check this out. Here's the, here's the switch. Who? He's guarding it for you in heaven. But you, the one he's the ones he's guarding it for, you're through faith shielded by God's power. Until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What does that mean? It means this. God not only guards your inheritance in heaven that he's going to give you one day, but he's guarding you by his power until he decides to end this whole thing called history and bring you and your inheritance together forever in his presence in glory. Can somebody say hallelujah? That ought to give you great joy. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why Jesus was born in a Bethlehem cave. To give us that joy, that hope. And what that great news produces in us is found again in verse 6 and also verses 8 and 9. In all this, Peter says, you greatly rejoice. Do you greatly rejoice in it? You see, it's real simple. If you do, people know you do. If you do, you say You do. If you do, you talk about it. Nobody has to wonder where you stand. Do your co-workers know if they don't? Let me tell you something. You don't rejoice greatly in it. Why? Because you don't talk about it. You know, when when you were working and you met that new girl, they knew about her. Ladies, they knew about the, the, the new guy that won your heart, right? In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer great grief and all kinds of trials. And that's a whole other sermon, but it's the path of the cross. Jesus suffered the whole time he was here. Why would we think we'd have a life that looked any different? Besides bad American theology that says Jesus loves you and has a great plan for your life and just wants you to live out the American dream. Heresy. Utter heresy. Okay, Straight up heresy. It's not the Bible. Jesus loves, loved you so much he died for you. He secured your eternity. He comes, lives in your heart. He walks with you. He lives in you. Amazing. He tabernacles in us. We are the temple now and forevermore. But he's made it real plain. 
through books like 1 Peter. He left us an example. Just as he suffered, we suffer too. We're going we're we're to suffer till, till glory comes. Why? To show the world that Jesus is more precious to us than the comforts this, that, that this life can offer. That's the whole point. It's all for his glory. Verse 8, though you've not seen him, you love him. Amen? And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving currently the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You say, I'm not in heaven yet. No, you're not. But but heaven dwells in you. The Spirit of God lives in you. That's why you can have this kind of joy in someone you have never seen. That's why you can love Jesus to the point of even being willing to lay down your life for him. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. He lives in us. And because he has sealed us, Peter talks as if we are already in glory. The end of our salvation, it's as good as done. Paul would say the same thing. Paul would say those he's, those he's called, those he's justified. Those he's justified, he's sanctified. The ones he's sanctified, he's glorified. Past tense. None of you, let me just tell you, from my perspective up here this morning, have been glorified. And you say, well, preacher, right back at you. Amen. I know. I looked in the mirror this morning. We're not glorified yet. Why is he speaking the past tense? Because the, fit, the work of Christ is done. It's complete. And he's the sovereign Lord of all history. He will, his plan will not be thwarted. We will get to glory. He's going to keep... We already talked about it. He's, he's guarding us. He's guarding the inheritance. He's going to get us together with that inheritance, which is no less, the Psalms say, than himself. The psalmist would say, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my inheritance. And we get to enjoy him forevermore. Advent is about you living daily with inexpressible and glorious joy in your Savior, Jesus Christ. The New Testament clearly and abundantly teaches that God wants you to have joy in Jesus because when you do, God gets the glory. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Jesus. Did you hear that? Isn't that simple? God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Jesus. Sometimes we, we, we get that all messed up. And we think God is most glorified in me when I've had my quiet time every day for two weeks. Hadn't cussed in, I don't know, a couple hours. God is most glorified in me when I'm at church, you know, every, every Sunday for a month. Is that, is, that what, is, that, is that what it's all about? I mean, I, no. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Jesus. When we are listening and repeating the good news of the gospel to ourselves so that great joy is produced in our heart in Jesus and everything else is secondary. All the stuff of this world, the, the, the positions and, and the power and the money and the status and, and what other people think and, and, and all of that is secondary. It's not even secondary. It's not even close. Because we find such joy in Jesus. Now, by the way, that will change how you live, right? If you're delighting in Jesus, man, you want to be in the Word every day. Not to check off something off the list. Not, not because it makes you closer to God or God like or love you anymore. No, but because you want to know this one who came for you better. 
And that's also why you reprioritize your life and you come to church regularly. Not out of legalistic duty, but out of joy. You know what? Here's the deal. You do what you delight in. Very simple. Duty doesn't drive your life. You know what drives your life? Delight. You know, you don't have to be trained in counseling, Ruthie, even though there's nothing wrong with that. But you don't have to be trained in counseling or psychology to read people. And, and it's real simple. You watch people's lives. You, you see what they are doing, and it tells you what they're delighting in. It's real simple. A good tree produces good fruit, right? So here's the thing. I just want to drive you to delight this morning. I want to drive you to pleasure in Jesus. Why? Because there is no greater pleasure. And what you're doing, if you're, if you're drinking at any other cistern, Jeremiah says you're drinking at a broken cistern that can hold no water. You're thirsting to death. You may think you're happy. You're not happy. You're not satisfied. Why? Chad, how do you know? Don't tell me I'm not happy. Who do you think you are, a little ball fell up there on the stage? I mean, don't, don't tell me I'm not. Here's the deal. If, if, if you're having to, to just keep running hard after satisfaction in everything that you're pursuing, who are you fooling? Now, the thing about Jesus is the more you drink, the more you want. Amen. Jesus said, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It wasn't just the angels that wanted the world to have joy in Christ. Jesus came and said that. The joy I have in the Father and the fellowship of the Trinity, the pleasure that we enjoy in ourselves in the Godhead, is that kind of blowing your mind a little bit? Yeah, it should. Like, we can't really get that, can we? Jesus says, I've come so that, that you can have some of my joy and that your joy might be full. Here's the deal. If you get a taste of the joy Jesus has in, 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 in himself, that God the Father has in the Trinity, it'll fill you right up. His joy was the very joy of God. He promises in, the, in that passage to put his joy in us. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Jesus said, no one will take your joy from you. The joy that Jesus came to bring is from outside this world. It's the very joy that Jesus himself has in God the Father and vice versa, which he's had from all eternity and will have forever. This is the great joy of the angel's announcement. And it cannot be taken away. It is indestructible. Advent is about you living daily with inexpressible and glorious joy in your Savior, Jesus Christ. We have received infinitely good news from heaven. There is a Savior. His name is Jesus. He lived a, a perfect life in my place. And then he died on the cross to fully satisfy the holy justice of God for my sins. He was buried, the Bible says, really dead for three days. But he rose again in victory over sin and death and hell. And because he lives, we have a Savior and because we have a Savior, we can live with inexpressible and glorious joy, come what may. Amen? Now, does that mean we're going to be happy 
in the worldly sense all the time. No. Because see, here's the deal. Today, right now, on this December the 17th, some of you are in the middle of a tough time. Your circumstances stink. Financially, you got family crises going on. You're, you're hurting. You've lost someone close to you. There's, this, there's, this, there's been tragedy that's come into your life. And this is not a happy time of the year for you. Right? But in the middle of that, if you know Jesus... If you've heard the good news and believe and trust in him, then you can still have great joy. It may not make make you happy-faced, but it will fill your heart with joy and it will carry you through the darkness, the difficulties. Just ask me how I know. Advent is about you living daily with inexpressible and glorious joy in your Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to ask you as we close this morning, have you ever believed the good news? Maybe you're here today. I, never take, I don't want to take anything for granted, especially around the holidays. Maybe you've never heard this message you've heard this morning about all that Jesus had, has done for you since the time of his birth. So I just want to ask you, have you trusted my Jesus? Do you, forget about everybody else in the room, do you have this kind of joy day by day? Inexpressible and glorious joy. Because you know Jesus. You know all that that means before holy God. And you all that means for eternity. Do you have this joy because you know of the presence of the Spirit of God living in you, giving you joy? Or are you allowing something to consistently rob you of this joy? Great joy. That's what it's supposed to be. And and, and Christian friend, if you're here today and you just say, you know, there's joy, but it's just kind of, it's, just kind of, it's about the, 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 the flame. It's, it's just a flicker. It's not the flame that it was. Then you're allowing something to rob you of that joy. You are trying to replace Jesus with something else for your satisfaction and, and pleasure and delight in life. What is it that keeps your heart and mind from reveling in the good news of a heaven-sent Savior, whatever it is, let me just tell you, it's not worth it. And today's the day to throw it in the trash. Today, today's the day to, to, to strip your heart of it. Today's the day to tear down, can we just say it, tear down that idol. Whatever it is you're worshiping other than Jesus, today is the day for that to end. Why? So that you can live with great joy. Inexpressible and full of glory. Advent is about you living daily with just just such joy in our Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.